Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. And as many of you know, a little over a week ago, I guess about 10 or 11 days now, we moved to a small town called Homer in Alaska to start a church plant. And now that I have internet again, we can get back on track with our regular podcast program. So today, I want to deal with the issue of the religious spirit. It's a phrase that you'll frequently hear in the charismatic church, but we could rightly say with Inigo Montoya, That word you keep using, I do not think it means what you think it means. By the way, plug for Justin Peters. He's actually doing a YouTube series right now called the Inigo Montoya series. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you guys. It's definitely worth watching. In fact, anything Justin puts out is really worth watching. Let's just be honest. But back to our topic. So essentially, when you hear someone in the charismatic church say that someone else has a religious spirit... You can almost bet that what they're actually meaning is, I don't agree with that statement, or I didn't like that statement, or I don't like that teaching. It rarely ever has to do with any sound belief on what ungodly religion actually is, what a religious, um, in a negative connotation, what that would actually mean. It's more just kind of tossed around as a license to believe whatever you want to believe. So, Here is an excellent example of how a popular charismatic uses it to defend women preaching. Listen to this video clip. This is from uh, Jennifer LeClaire stating that the religious spirit doesn't like to see women preach. Listen to this. So let me let me dive right in here. What do I mean by you? You know, not all religious spirits are created equal. Well, practically speaking, here's a good example. You know, religion, the spirit of religion doesn't like to see a woman preach, right? They would cringe, and I'll probably get some nasty emails from this video. Uh, you know, they don't like women to preach. So a man may let his wife just go and do ministry and preach and teach and pray and prophesy, defying the spirit of religion. So he might not flow in religion in that way, but he might turn around and offer prophetic judgments and curses and just rip people apart with his prophetic words. Well, that's religion. Because the Bible says that the gift of prophecy is to edify, comfort, and exhort, not to condemn, judge, and curse. All right? And that's that religion. That's that sons of thunder mentality, you know? And what did Jesus say when, when, uh, when John and his brother James wanted to call down fire from heaven? Remember that? When the Samaritans didn't want to let them cross through and they got mad and they said, Jesus, you know, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah? You know, and, 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 you know, Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, they were, they were, they were flowing in a wrong spirit, you know, and a religious spirit is a wrong spirit. Okay. Now let's just hit the pause button on that right now. And let's go look at some scripture. She makes it abundantly clear that if you teach women can't preach, then obviously you have a religious spirit. So let's go to first Timothy two, nine through 14. It says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. 
A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Wait, hold on, Paul. Does the Apostle Paul have a religious spirit? Let me read that again. Verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So let's make a few observations here. Firstly, and most importantly, who was the author of this text? If you said Paul, you'd be partially correct. The Holy Spirit is the author of all scripture, right? Who used human writers as he inspired them to write exactly what he wanted them to write. So here we have God writing through the Apostle Paul, making it abundantly clear that women are not allowed to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, that eliminates any and all possibility of a so-called woman preacher or pastor. I say so-called because a woman pastor actually doesn't exist. It's sort of kind of like a unicorn. They just don't exist. Now, anyway, so this, this kind of thing is so common in the charismatic church. Now, Leclerc, sorry, Leclerc doesn't like what God has said here. That's the reality. So, in fact, she's disobedient herself. So, in order to justify it, right, she has to either twist the meaning of text somehow or slyly insert an erroneous doctrine to cover up the truth of Scripture. Sort of like the skin of truth covering a lie sort of thing. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it is true that there is a religiousness, a religiosity that is opposed to God, Right. And of course, no believer wants to be pitted against God. Now, we'll talk about what it really means to be religious in a negative way later on. Um, but here's the reality. If, if someone says you have a religious spirit, if you do this thing or if you do that thing, the natural response is going to be we're going to shy away from whatever that thing is, because. I mean, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to oppose God, right? You don't want to oppose God. So this is used in the charismatic church basically to just kind of quiet people uh, so that you can teach what you want to teach. You can believe what you want to believe. You can do what you want to do, and you can eliminate opposition by pitting people against God. Now, in this case, Leclerc is saying that if you that you have a religious spirit if you disagree with women preachers, women preachers. Uh... Wait, so Leclerc, are you saying that the Apostle Paul has a religious spirit? Well, more importantly, since Holy, the Holy Spirit is actually the author of the text, Leclerc, are you saying that the Holy Spirit is unholy? Okay, that is the implication there. We should be very afraid of this kind of thing. It's incredibly dangerous. So the result of responding, the way Leclerc responds, is uh, you, you, kind of, you kind of get something like this from the crowd when you say those types of things. Well, I don't want a religious spirit, so maybe women pastors are okay. Of course, the problem is that God's very word makes it abundantly clear that women cannot be pastors. Now, we're not talking about the issue of women pastors here, we're just dealing with how this phrase, religious spirit, is so often used in the charismatic church. Now, by the way, it's not just in the charismatic church. Uh, lots of people 
and various denominations, I've even heard a few in the Reformed camp use the phrase religious spirit in a way that was entirely unbiblical uh, and, and outside of its actual meaning. So what's worse than this type of manipulation through guilt, really, that's what it is, is again, Leclerc by implication is judging the Apostle Paul and subsequently the Holy Spirit of being evil. Just let that sink in for a minute, right? There, there's clear teaching in Scripture, and what she's saying is that it's the religious spirit. She's obviously using it in a negative way, in a way that is evil, in opposition to God's way. She makes that clear. Uh, I'll, I'll link the, the YouTube video so you can see it in its entirety, so you know that I'm not taking anything out of context. I'll put that in the show notes. But effectively, she's just called God evil, that's scary. And it's so common in the charismatic church. One thing that I have to admit that even I was abundantly guilty of in the charismatic church, and this is just because it's like the, you know, it's the SOP in the in the charismatic church, the standard operating procedure. Um, you just teach things and you never think through what you're teaching to see what the implications of those things are. So, What's sad is that a lot of believers, rather than going to God's word, right, will hear something like this message from LeClaire, and instead of testing it against the word of God, against our only authority, the final word, they'll hear that and they'll just start to begin repeating it because they'll say, oh, yeah, well, that sounds, that sounds right. That sounds good. I mean, God loves everyone equally, right? There's no more Jew. There's no more Gentile. Every believer has heard that phrase. And they'll just mix and mash a couple different verses that don't go together and change a little context here, do a little twisting there. Next thing you know, you, you've got several different passages of Scripture that sort of look like the DNA double helix, right? They're just all jumbled together, except the problem is they don't fit together, um, and, and, and it's, it's, I think as common in the charismatic church as it is in the Catholic church for the majority of Christians to read their Bible, they just kind of don't, right? They believe whatever's being taught, uh, that I guess that's just a lot of Christianity today, but we're called to be Bereans, right? To study, to show ourselves approved, to test what's being taught. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because not only did they listen to joyfully the teachings of the Apostle Paul, but they actually went back and tested to see whether or not it was true, right, against the scriptures. And so we need to do those things as well. We need to cons consult scripture um, in, in these instances. By the way, just dealing with this one instance here, let's just, you know, for fun, Go to a few other passages that talk about what the qualifications of an elder pastor are. So remember, Le Leclerc has made the, the comment, has made the declaration that you have a religious spirit, thus you are against God if you believe women can't be pastors. So she's pitting you against God. Well, let's go to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It says this, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, notice man, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. 
He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So we could go on with that. But let, okay, so that's Timothy. Uh, let's go to Titus, Titus 1, 5 through 9. It says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, this is Paul talking to Titus, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I direct you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and then it goes on, etc., etc. So again, multiple places crystal, crystal clear from God himself, right through the apostles that to be an elder or pastor you have to be a man and we have so much of it's not just leclerc that teaches this but all throughout the charismatic church all throughout pentecostalism we hear teachings of how someone must have a religious spirit if they don't believe in women preachers so mind you again we're not just dealing with women the women preacher thing we're just dealing with the use of the the phrase religious spirit and how in most cases if not all it's being twisted to justify a teaching that is most likely not biblical at all and in some cases like this particular case it directly opposes what god has written clearly in scripture so what Leclerc is calling evil is, in fact, the very word of God. Scripture is abundantly clear, and it, and it doesn't hint. It doesn't whisper. It's super clear on the subject. So, so much for religious spirit. But guys, this doesn't stop with the issue of women preachers. Like I said, it's as common as white on rice under some southern chicken and gravy. For all you southern people. By the way, I'm a southern boy myself. Now... When Todd Bentley was exposed for his sexual misconduct re recently, you hear Rick Joyner, who came out with a talk about the religious spirit, who was basically defending Todd Bentley's actions. Well, he was rather uh, coming against people who were exposing Todd Bentley, but he used the same kind of tactic with the whole religious spirit thing. If you talk about holiness in the charismatic church, you'll hear religious spirit. Talk about Christian discipline, you'll hear religious spirit. Call out a false teacher, you will be labeled as one with a religious spirit. I mean, you can pick just about any sound, God-fearing, faithful man of God today in the church, and you can probably find where they have been labeled as someone with a religious spirit because it is just stereotypical in the charismatic, the Pentecostal church, when you find a teaching you don't like or you just don't want to obey, you just label it as you know, oh, yeah, that Justin Peters guy has a religious spirit. That that Andrew Rappaport guy, he's just got a religious spirit. And, and then you can shut down the conversation and you can carry on most often in your heinous doctrinal teachings because they're probably wrong because you've you've now just labeled that person. And no one wants to be associated with a religiosity that's unbiblical, right? And, and that's how it goes in the charismatic church. And so we've got to be careful also that we don't misuse um, religious religiosity. Uh, there, there's good religion. We know that, right? Right? Taking care of widows, taking care of orphans. It's, it's, that, that's good religion, right? There's a good religion. And then, of course, there is this religious um, 
a, a negative religiosity that opposes God. And again, we're going to talk about that, right? But anyway, so Leclerc goes on uh, in the, in that clip to talk about how prophetic words bring that bring judgment is religion. We heard that, right? In other words, it isn't from God if it brings judgment, if it feels bad, right? If it's negative or we perceive it to be negative. Well, first thing first, first things first here, prophecy is no longer active today, right? It served a particular purpose. Um, so the fact that she promotes prophecy as a functional gift today is already outside of what we see being taught in Scripture. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, you can go through our old podcast where we talk about prophecy and you can see what we're talking about there. But, you know, I, I, we're cessationists. We believe that those miraculous sign gifts were for a specific time period, for a specific purpose. They serve that purpose. Right. And God is still a miraculous God. God can still do whatever he wants to do. God still certainly does miracles. But there are no longer prophets walking around. Right. There are no longer people with the miraculous gift of healing that touch everyone that are getting healed today. That just doesn't happen anymore. Right. It served its purpose. Its purpose was for the foundation of the church that was set already. So so she's talking about how these prophetic words that come out, if they're, you know, um, not edifying, not uplifting, basically, if they don't make you happy and feel good, then they're not from God. Still, now, if you're a student of the Bible, you might be thinking already when she said that, wait a minute, weren't there many prophets in the Old Testament that brought messages of judgment on Israel? Didn't a lot of those prophets call for repentance? Didn't they proclaim God's wrath? Yeah, well, you'd be right and she'd be wrong. Let's look at just a couple of those. So according to her standard, you have a religious spirit if you give a wrathful prophecy, um, if it's not a nice prophecy. So, well, I mean, what does Micah have to say to that? Well, apparently Micah had a religious spirit, according to LeClaire, because Micah 3.12 says this, Therefore, on account of you, Zion, will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. So Micah's prophecy was that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. That's not a happy, feel-good prophecy. Well, let's go to another one. Jonah 3, 1 through 4 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. A three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, Jonah, according to Leclerc, you've got a religious spirit. But wait a minute. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So does that mean God has an evil religious spirit, Leclerc? Because that's kind of what you said. Well, let's do one more. Jeremiah 25, 8 through 11 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay, this is God talking, right? Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, 
I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones and the light of a lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So here we are for 23 years. The people of Judah have disregarded the word of the Lord from Jeremiah. And here he prophesies directly from God a Babylonian captivity. Well, according to many in the charismatic church, this type of thing would be labeled a religious spirit because obviously, right, it's doesn't feel good and it's judgment uh, if there's no repentance, right? So, but this came directly from God. So again, LeClaire, does God have an evil religious spirit? I don't think so. But, you know, this is like so, so many of the erroneous teachings that stem from a lack of proper biblical exegesis. Sometimes, okay, a lot of times, if we're just going to be honest, these teachings just come from the mindset that says, I want to do what I want to do, regardless of what scripture says. I can change it if I want to. I can highlight these passages with a black magic marker and, you know, write my own thing. That's where a lot of this comes from. And so they've got to come up with ways to justify it. Now, I will say that there are a lot uh, of genuine believers in the charismatic church who do this kind of thing solely out of ignorance. They do not read the scripture well. Their exegesis is terrible. And, you know, this is what they're taught to do and they're mimicking it. But twisting passages, I mean, this is what happens. They're twisting passages to suit their desired income uh, outcome. So, you know, a female preacher wants to preach. She knows the word of God says you can't. And so they just start teaching about the religious spirit and label anyone who doesn't like women preacher, uh, women preachers as a religious person, you know, religious in the negative way. So they insert meaning into the text that the text doesn't itself support. Or they just use the text as a way to promote pragmatism or emotionalism. In Leclerc's case, she's appealing to a sentimentality that is common in the charismatic church, and that is, if it's good, it's of God, right? If it's good, it's of God. In other words, if it feels good, then it must be from God. Now, if that sounds eerily like humanism to you, then you would be right, because humanism says, right, the end of humanism is that which seeks the happiness of man, and that's what they teach. In other words, it's just feel-good teaching. It's Joel Osteen. But the problem is that the Bible isn't about you, right? It's not supposed to make you happy. The Bible isn't about the happiness of man. It's about Christ and the glory of God. But many of these teachings in the charismatic church is about the happiness of man, not the glory of God. So if it doesn't feel good, if it doesn't sound good, then it must not be God. Therefore, if you're teaching against women preaching, you must have an evil religious spirit because that doesn't feel good in today's world. 
Now, something that's also very common when we talk about the phrase religious spirit is making statements like, the law kills. Now, I'm going to step on some reform toes, probably because we've got a lot of reform guys out there. I, You know, I don't even know what's happening, but they, they seem to be um, have this hyper focus on grace and, you know, they're shoving the law under the bus, kind of speak, where it shouldn't be. And almost in such a way where it would be very easy to perceive their teaching as um, licensed to sin. Now, they would all say that's not true. Even in the charismatic church, you, you get this hyper grace teaching all the time, right? Uh, when, especially when they're talking about the religious spirit, you'll, you'll hear things like the law kills, it doesn't bring life. Um, that the law puts people in bondage. And it's often followed up with something like, we know the law is bad because Scripture says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is a classic example of twisting the text. Well, in the Reformed Church, right, you hear a lot of against the law today and a lot about grace, grace, grace. But folks, we've got to have the law in one hand and grace in the other hand. We're going to talk about legalism and what religiousness is. In, in the negative sense, really is uh, in the podcast. But, um, it, you know, so often in, in this charismatic way of using the religious spirit, basically what they're saying is if, if there's a teaching that limits anything I can do or I want to do, then it must be bad. It, it's, it's just a classic example of twisting the text that happens in the charismatic Pentecostal church. Now, if we want to be charitable, we can say that this is just an example of poor Bible reading. It's undoubtedly poor exegesis at the very least. It's manipulative and deceitful at its worst. Now, there are definitely people out there like Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland. They know, right, when they talk about these things that they're manipulating people, that they're twisting scripture. And I'm not going to give them any benefit of the doubt because I know better. Been following their teachings for way too long. But, you know... Let's go back to this verse. Um, and, you know, even in that video clip with Leclerc, which we didn't play all of it, she talks, she mentions that, right, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, well, wait, that's a Bible verse, right? It must be good. It must be true. That, that's true. It is a Bible verse. But let's just examine some parts of the law for a second and see what exactly is being limited in our liberty. I mean, obviously, we aren't bound to keep the law as a way of earning salvation. In fact, I personally have never met anyone who is trying to earn their salvation in, a, in, a, in the real church, right? We've got some cults out there who are doing that. I'm not talking about them. Um, I, I mean, this is even a, a pet peeve of mine. I hear these reform guys that are preaching almost this just hyper grace message that sounds often uh, and, and eerily like, God doesn't care if you sin. Now, that's not what they're saying. It's not what they're preaching, but it, it's just very easy to get there. And so it's a bit scary. Um, but l let's examine some, some of the law, right? So, and, and again, we understand that we don't keep any part of any law to earn our salvation or to keep our salvation, right? That nullifies the work of the cross. That's bad. We get that. Um, and, and we'll address that a little bit more momentarily. We also aren't tied. So we aren't bound to keep the law of salvation, right? We also aren't, tire, aren't tied to the civil law, right? We're not, we're not Israel. 
We're, we're also not tied to the ceremonial law, so I understand the law to be divided into three parts, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral. Um, but guess what? We are actually bound to the moral law. So let's con consider a few law. How about this law, uh, Ms. LeClaire? Does this one limit your liberty? You shall have no other gods before me. Is that a religious law? Do you have a religious spirit if you preach Christ and Christ alone? Well, maybe Oprah Winfrey would say you have a religious spirit, but currently Oprah Winfrey's headed for hell. I certainly do pray that she comes into a real um, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But sorry, Oprah, all paths don't lead to heaven. Sorry, LeClaire, we can't get around that law. How about this one? You shall make no idols. Or maybe this is the one that's too harsh. You shall not murder. Is that law limiting, limiting our liberty too much? Well, obviously, we should be free to murder. I mean, that, that's not even sarcastic. Sadly, I mean, half of our country actually does believe this. Uh, newsflash, abortion is murder. Um, yeah, it's murder. You shall not murder. It not only is it murder, but in terms, in terms of a human court, it's premeditated murder, which generally carries a harsher penalty, except in our society it's celebrated. And what's really sad, what's really, really sad is that you have professing Christians who either one are actually okay with abortion um, if if not altogether in some instances or two it's just not a really important issue okay well anyway let's go on let's look at a, a couple more parts of the law how about this law is this one that um, you must have a religious spirit if you believe in Miss LeClaire you shall not commit adultery. How about that law? I mean, certainly that limits your liberty to, you know, go out and do whatever sexual exploits you want to do. Or how about this one? You shall not steal. Now, obviously, uh, you know, according to AOC, if you're looting an iPad, you're obviously hungry and that should be okay. At least, you know, some politicians would clearly have us believe that. But what about you, Miss LeClaire? Or m maybe, maybe this one is the one that's too restrictive. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Is that one the one that makes you have a religious spirit? I'm just not sure. Well, you know, here's the reality. That passage in 2 Corinthians, where there's, you know, liberty because of Christ, it doesn't mean that we're free from every part of the law. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, we are certainly, we are most certainly bound to the moral law. The Ten Commandments still apply, folks. Um, we have the two tables of the law. And they're still applicable to every human, and they will be until the return of Christ. The law is good. The passage doesn't give us freedom to sin. It's speaking of our liberty from sin and death. You are free, Christian, not to sin, right? 
it's, it's because of Christ that we have liberty. We have freedom from sin, and we are free from the demands of the law as a means to earning righteousness, i.e., you don't have to try to keep the Ten Commandments to earn your salvation because we are free in Christ. We are free to live in Christ's righteousness, which has been imputed to us, not because of what we have earned, but because of Christ. We're free from the condemnation. Uh, we're free from condemnation of sin and from Satan's dominion. We have liberty. But we're not free to do whatever we please. We're free to do what Christ beckons us to do. We're free to love and to pursue holy living. We are free, and as free men, we are slaves bound to the teachings of Christ. That is what that passage in 2 Corinthians is talking about. So when you hear someone use that passage, like LeClaire uses it in her video to say, oh, well, where, where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a charismatic I heard that where the spirit of Christ is or where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So we can't put any pressure on this person to exercise any Christian disciplines. We uh, can't be too hard on this person who's, you know, living a life of fornication. We can't be too hard on. I mean, effectively, it's just excusing sin in many cases. But this is how it goes. It, you know, I don't take my word for it that the law is good. Let's go to Romans 7 and, and listen to what the Apostle Paul says. By the way, you will find lots of charismatics do not like the Apostle Paul. Not only charismatics, but then we have some other, you know, people in the Baptist life that seem to not like the Apostle Paul like Beth Moore. But we'll just keep going there. Um, so Romans 7, 6 through 12. Paul says this, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and I, uh, and through it killed me. So then... The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Holy and righteous and good, Paul says. Now, is that how you understand the law? Do you understand the law as being holy and righteous and good? Or do you understand the law to be something that's, well, if we're honest, lots of Christians just think the law is evil. Paul says it's holy and righteous and good. Now, a right understanding of the negative use of the word religious, okay, would be someone, and let's talk about this, because there, there is an understanding 
of someone who is religious that is a negative understanding that is in fact against God and it would be someone who is simply trying to earn their salvation by keeping the law by their good deeds right so it's the person that says I'm saved not because of Christ but because I'm keeping the commandments that's legalism so you know when we hear this phrase uh, in the charismatic church Right, religious spirit, religious mindset. Uh, that person is just a religious person, right? What they're really talking about is legalism, and and legalism, if we understand it appropriately, is is when you believe that you have either earned your salvation or somehow are keeping your salvation through works, through good works, right? That is absolutely antithetical to the teaching of Scripture. That's a religiosity that works against Calvary. It nullifies the work of the cross. And yes, it's absolutely evil, but that's not how it's used in the charismatic church normally. Again, it's normally used as a way to say, I just don't like what he said. You know, so someone tells women preachers that they should stay home and then... Lots of, you know, ugly heads rear up and say, religious, religious, religious. And what they really mean is, I want to be disobedient and do what I want to do, and I don't care what Scripture says. Well, that's not the right use of the term. It's manipulative, and it's wrong. So the term, religious spirit, it, it's not, it's just, it doesn't mean what they think it means. It's often just because someone doesn't like the particular preaching. So, you know, Beth Moore wants to rebel against Scripture and preach to men, so she makes some comments about religiousness. Rick Joyner wants to defend a pedophile and perverse bully like Todd Bentley, so he talks about the religious spirit. LeClaire wants to be free to do whatever she wants, so she talks about people having a religious mindset. And all along, the truth is that it's nothing more than them desiring a license to sin, to do what they want to do. And they do it by using biblical language. They can play on the simple-mindedness of some people. They can play on the biblical ignorance of others. And they can justify their own wickedness. And clearly, we've already said it. We do not earn our salvation by works, nor do we keep it by works. The only thing you contribute to your salvation, and my friend, we do all contribute a great amount to our salvation, and what we contribute is a great amount of sin. And it's because of that sin that we have to depend on the work of Christ because our works are as filthy rags. That's the only thing we contribute. The only thing we contribute is sin. And Christ died because of that sinfulness and imputed his righteousness to, righteousness to us. I mean, if we could contribute anything to the saving part of our faith, we'd all go to hell. But there's not a single believer out there who believes that, at least not a single real believer, who believes he's righteous of his own accord, By the way, um, there's also no believer out there who wants to be free 
from pursuing a holy life. There's no believer who looks at the Ten Commandments and is like, oh, I hate these commandments. They're just so restricting. They're just weighing me down. No believers out there saying that. God's people love holiness and they hate wickedness. Yes, we fail. As believers, we are imperfect people. We are still sinners saved by the grace of God. We fail, but when we fail, we repent repent, and then we press forward. But the person who wants to label Christian discipline and the pursuit of holiness as evil or as bondage, or they want to say that person is a religious spirit, has a religious spirit because, look, they get up and they pray every day or they get up and they study every day, that person is nothing more than an enemy of God. Void of the Spirit of God. No believer feels that way. No believer believes that way. Right? The the Holy Spirit that dwells in us is just that. Holy. And the child of God desires and yearns for holiness. I don't feel restricted by the Ten Commandments, by the moral law. In fact, I feel freed by the moral law. In fact, I feel protected by the law. Right? I, although I fail, I yearn to be holy as He is holy. That is the heart cry of every Christian. So next time you hear Stephen Furtick or Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland or LeClaire or Benny Hinn talk about religious spirits, you'll know that the word they're using doesn't mean what they think it means. Or it doesn't mean what you know it means. Normally, like I said, it just means, man, I don't like that teaching. So someone, you know... Show LeClaire, Timothy, and Titus, and she'll say, you have a religious spirit. And what she really means is, I want to be my own God and do things my own way. So, my dear friends, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I hope that that helps you understand a little bit about the use of the term religious spirit, what it does mean and what it doesn't mean and how it's used in the charismatic Pentecostal church. And so, you know, if you have family or friends that are charismatic, or maybe you're charismatic yourself, and you've been using that, I would just encourage you to go back to Scripture. I would encourage you to let Scripture be your ultimate authority, and don't let yourself fall into the trap of trying to downplay, you know, what what we ourselves want to do that may not be in line with Scripture by saying someone has a religious spirit. Just because someone is preaching something that you don't like doesn't mean they have a religious spirit. It might, in fact, be straight from the Word of God, and if you want to be um, like a Berean, then, you know, go and test that teaching against the Word of God and then submit to the Word of God. But please never let, uh, never let yourself... Try to manipulate others by using the religious spirit argument. It just doesn't work, and that's just not what it means. So, glad you joined us for the show today. If you would like to support our podcast ministry, or if you'd like to support our missionary work in church planning here in Alaska, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash jollymissionaries, or 
If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or prayer requests, love to get those from you. You can email me at truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. That's truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. Those links will be in the show notes. And remember, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known Podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known Podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.